Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. Welcome to Bluebells Forever podcast. And we're doing a special episode. I have invited several people that represent several decades, generations of bluebells, because as the Lido in Paris is ending, a lot, a lot of uh, articles are written about what the showgirl is. Does it matter anymore? And it's, it kind of hurts our heart, like to see how it's been dismissed of something that we put our heart into and that we see the value, like Anne and I were talking earlier, that we didn't know when we were in it of the legacy we were part of. So this episode is titled, How Will the Showgirl Be Remembered? And I have Emma Wilkinson on today, who's been on before, and I have Anne Green, who's been on several times. And then we have some other guests throughout the days we're gonna interview. Um, but I feel like every time I've taught, I teach showgirl classes in Seattle, and I always feel like I have to start out with what a showgirl is not because there's so many assumptions. So you can't just say, come and do a showgirl class. And what people think they're signing up for is very different than what I would like to see embodied and remember Anne sneezing and she's on mute right now. <laughs> I've always wanted to do a, a character piece of a showgirl piece with one of the girls is allergic to feathers, <laughs> just sneezing the whole way through. Anyway, that was a really weird intro, but um, I think I would like for you guys to share a little bit of what shows you were in and, and when, because we're going to represent quite a few decades. We've got Elizabeth Phillips is coming on today. She's 82. She did it in the sixties and went physically with Miss Bluebell that came on some of the tour parts through Italy. So, you know, her experience as a showgirl, which a lot of us came in not knowing what the heck we even signed up for, but um, when, when did you dance? Where did you dance? And then actually a little bit, what was that experience for you? Like being a showgirl, how did that feel? Or did you even understand you were a showgirl? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I was in uh, Jubilee, Bally's Jubilee in Las Vegas from uh, 1992 to 94. And um, I've talked about this in my, in my, one of my other interviews about auditioning, but you know, I had, I was going to Las Vegas to see if I could get in a show. And so I had called backstage and arranged for a private audition and, and they, they gave me one. It was, um, it was Susan Holmes. And in between shows, she, you know, she taught me something and Fluff Laco came down and watched me and there wasn't a, a, you know, a spot at the time. So I, I went back up to Seattle and started my life. And then um, there was uh, somebody left, broke contract. And they said, Hey, do you, do you still want to, it was like months later. Um, do you still want to come down? I'm like, yes. So I packed my car came down and away I went. And I definitely was, uh, you know, like you shared, somebody who didn't really understand the show and the history of the show while in it, for sure. I loved every minute of being in that show. It's probably, I have some of the strongest, deepest relationship, friendships from that show. Met my husband, also a dancer, dancing in that show. We're celebrating 25 years married next month. So like, you know, I have a lot of ama amazing history with that show and I loved being in it. But uh, yeah, sadly, it wasn't until many, 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 many years later that I really truly understood Bluebell, what it meant to be in that show. The uh, I I always knew like the love and care of you know the costumes and you know the the people who also worked on that on that show and my fellow dancers. You know, nobody took it uh, um, lightly. You know, everybody was very invested and loved what 
what was being produced there, but I, it, I definitely came a little short on understanding truly, uh, you know, what the, the legacy that I was a part of at the time. And you also were part of Follies Bergere, yep. which we're going to, we're going to circle around to that again, just how, how many different facets of showgirls and how, what Miss Bluebell started or Follies Bergere in Paris, like how the crossover of Paris and Vegas matter. But um, you also were a Rockette and you've done musical theater with Rogers Folly. So I'm just looking at your resume. Like, I feel like there's a showgirl element, maybe not West Side Story, but even some of that. <laughs> um, it, it, it shows up in other ways. But to be the full on, you were paid to be a dancer showgirl. I feel like Jubilee is just the epitome of getting to, to do that. For sure. In fact, in, it's interesting when you for Frolly Bajer, I was only in for a year, you know, the 50 years it was ran, it ran, I was in for one year. And within that year, they did a revamp of the show and they made it more contemporary. So even within this, I think it was there for about six months, they did that. And about six months later, I, I went and joined the Rockettes. But, um, but it was interesting even then, because they were taking some of like the, what I thought it was Folly Bajer, those numbers out and they made it more contemporary. So there was a little bit of a you know, Janet Jackson all of a sudden is in Folly Bergere, you know, so it was, there was like a shift happening there as well, which I didn't even think of until right now. But yeah, uh, definitely a showgirl element there and just kind of the, the love and honor of the female form for sure in Folly Bergere as well. Mm, thanks, Anne. Emma, how about you? And also, can you say how old you are too? Just this, and also what years you perform, just because we're getting a nice like spectrum of our bluebell history. So I am 30 years old. Um, I danced at the Lido de Paris in 2012 until 2018. So I auditioned in 2011, um, went into the Lido to the show Bonheur, and then we changed the review in 2015, I think, into Paris Merveille. So um, I really did that transition period from Bonner, which was really a traditional Lido, everything, what showgirlism really represents. And then it transformed into more of a modern contemporary show, uh, which was created with Franco Dragon, Paris Mauve. And this is when for me, I had to leave because it didn't represent for me really what a showgirl is. And it's just missed a lot of the costumes. And I wasn't feeling in my heart, I wasn't feeling good on stage in that show, so I left. Um, I would say, as a showgirl in Bonner, I just really, I absolutely loved, loved every moment. I found it cheesy, I found it glamorous, and I, it was just a pleasure to go to work. It didn't even feel like work. I mean, even if we weren't paid, it was just like such a pleasure to be there. I felt so grateful, and then, uh, yes, and then when the show changed, kind of after that, I didn't feel so, um, yeah, I can't describe it really. I just didn't feel like my talent was used. I didn't feel like I was dancing enough. I did feel a bit like a statue wearing a string with my boobs out. I just felt a little bit uh, not worthy in that show, which is why I had to leave it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. <laughs> I think it was in our first interview that you had said, I think this was your wording that it hurt your heart to yes. see and then you said even how you your title of your episode was the spinning image of miss bluebell how pierre Rombert told you that you look like miss bluebell or you yes. you actually there was something of when you did the full I, thing yeah because yes. i can see a little in your face but I, when i look at the pictures of you in your showgirl getup, 
oh, I can see it. But also, can yeah. you share a little bit why that hurt your heart? Also, you know, you had a better idea who Miss Bluebell was than we did, who worked, I worked with, I mean, she hired me, but I feel like you had a different appreciation for her as a young person that kind of astounded me. I, I just find it absolutely incredible how she really looked after her girls. And also, I think it's amazing how really at the Lido, it's like, you are tall, right? So in other companies, even if you're a fantastic ballerina, you're too tall for the ballet world. And she gave opportunities to us tall ladies. And I think it was just a prime example of like femininity and to prove to the world that uh, the woman's body is an art form. And I just love how she really respected her girls, full respect, even Pierre Rambert working with him. And um, he just really helped us. He was like our father. And because I started so young, like I was 19 years old when I came into the company, back then in 2012, I was one of the youngest. Now, of course, they employ 18, 19 year olds. They're all quite young now in the cast. But um, I did honestly feel like he was a father figure and I would have loved to work with Miss Bluebell because I can imagine she was their motherly figure too. Um, and I just love that respect and that it was really a family and just teamwork really. And yeah, just to represent femininity and uh, yeah, basically. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's bringing up a lot of emotions, just it, thinking about it all. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's kind of why I wanted to do this too, because a lot of us are trying to process this in our own individual homes. So the, some of the Bluebell groups, I think it's been a collective grieving and so yes. anger. And also a, a lot of people have said like disbelief, like, how can this be? Like the Lido has been there. It's like the Eiffel tower. You, it, it will always be there when, and I've heard people that are French say, when people come to yeah. town, you take them to the Lido, you go to dinner. That's just something you do. So it's been part of the history that we assume would always be there. So I think yeah. the disbelief and all the emotions coming up, that's why I want to like have a place to process. And then when people are listening to this to go, yeah, this is, this is all the emotions. And I'm still holding hope that it's going to be like, just kidding. We so many people were outraged that staying, we're going to keep it. Like I keep, I know <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Something's going to go dun, dun, dun. We Yeah. yeah. And they don't know a closing date. I'm going to have, uh, there's a couple of girls from the current show that are going to come on the other days too, of just what it's like for them to know they are the last bluebells. They're the last and we're all watching yeah. this and how they don't know how much longer. And it's hard to, I'm assuming work for someone who doesn't really value what you do, you know? Totally. So that's, and, I, and we'll talk to Athena who was, talks a lot about how when corporations and when it went to corporate after the mafia, how Vegas changed and, like you, if you kind of, we had a, a time lapse, it'd be interesting to watch the change because yes, things need to be updated sometimes, but like how you do it, how fast you do it, how much respect you have while you do it is be where some of those places make me wonder like the missteps that could have actually jeopardized this, this history because of trying to just keep up with what's current or what we think people want. And so I would like to start with you guys throw out all the things you can think of of what a showgirl is not. Because I, that's why I say I start with what it's not, which is sad because even and and help me with the show I just put on, people still say oh, it's burlesque. And I say it's not burlesque. But if you say cabaret, then people think it's like a singer and then an act and then somebody else gets to sing. And so I feel like there's not even a word in our generation that helps people understand what a showgirl show is and especially what a showgirl is. So 
What are some things that you've heard or that you fight against, especially when you tell people what you did of assumptions of what, what it is, if you're a showgirl, what they think you did? Um, as for me, people just think, uh, especially here, that a showgirl is just yeah, a dancer in a string, topless, that hasn't really got much talent or maybe not much technique. And they think, oh, everyone can do that. I feel like there's such a huge misrepresentation on really of what a showgirl is, because I feel like in a way, this is no offense to any ballerinas in the world out there. I'm just speaking completely bluntly honest, but no matter if you're a ballerina or a showgirl, I'm sorry to say it, but basically, you know, like as a showgirl, I had ballet training too. It's just that I chose a path where I did ballet, jazz, tap, musical theater, singing, acting. I wanted to do it all. So basically, you know, um, a showgirl is just as amazing as a ballerina. And I think there's this misrepresentation. Um, and I think it's a huge, you know, it's, you need to have a lot of technique to be a showgirl. In the leader in the audition, they look at your examinations, like what examinations of ballet have you had? And you can tell when a dancer is dancing in heels if she's had ballet technique or not. And a showgirl is not a stripper, it's not an exotic dancer, you know. Um, and even today, um, I heard someone say it to me, she came uh, to my work and she said, but showgirl, what is that? That's not ballet. So um, I guess like everyone can dance in heels, you know, and it made me really angry. <laughs> <laughs> it made me so angry to hear that. I was like, no, you know, we're really trained. We're trained classically to do what we do. So um, I think there's a lot of anger sometimes when people say that we're not pole dancers, we're not lap dancers, you know, we are professional dancers trained in all disciplines of dance. Oh, that's so good. And I know I've heard people say that if, when they left the ballet world to be a showgirl, that people thought they were selling out. And yeah. someone was, somebody said, well, in ballet, you rehearsed probably 80% of your career and you performed 20 but as a show, as showgirl in these shows, you rehearse like an intense few weeks or months and then some rehearsals cleanup, but you're performing the rest of your career. And so yes. to fight even against your own upbringing and your own training of people thinking that you have sold out or, you know, stepped down, but then also how many of those people also become professional ballerinas? It's probably a very, very, very tiny percent for all the training, all the work and all the years. And then to choose to go do this professionally seems pretty smart to me. <laughs> so, Anne, for, for you, what have you had to say to justify or educate or, or even just seeing the change of what people in Vegas right now think a showgirl is? Well, definitely, you know, I think that showgirls, the word showgirl is used a lot with strip joints. So I do think that there's that component that you're kind of fighting up again, you know, you're pushing up against that. Um, coming from, you know, where I, coming from Washington state, growing up in a small, a small town, et cetera. I, you know, I, I had misconceptions about the dancers in Las Vegas as well. Right. Cause you don't know until you go. And so even just, you know, I, I'm a little surprised. It's my mom who came down with me to go to these auditions. Honestly, I'm a little surprised that she even accompanied me to go audition for shows in Las Vegas, given like mm -hmm. the bad rep that even Las Vegas gets right. Just in, in general with, um, 
with all that comes with Vegas, Sin City. I mean, it's called Sin City for crying out loud. But uh, but even going down, you know, I was a blue belt. You know, uh, you know, I had misconceptions about the women who would dance topless because you know, again, I'm thinking showgirls are, you know, that's what we're inundated with. Showgirls are strippers. So you know, I'm like, there. You know, I, I just I'm 22 when I get into that into that show, and I started my career at, at 18. So I had four years in, but you know, this was the first time where I was really like, oh, let's let's take a look at what's happening here. And you know, they're they're moms. They are students. They uh, they have a love of horses. They have like a whole you know their lives outside of this. And this is just this beautiful thing that they express and share using their their body right so it was really educational for me and then and then then all the prickly hairs would stand up when anybody would talk poorly about showgirls I'm like what sit down I gotta tell you some stuff like no <laughs> um, and then you know when the movie showgirls came out and you know how that that depiction where you know everybody's catty and they're throwing what is it marbles beads pearls whatever it was uh, diamonds at each other to trip to get to you know all of that stuff is just all that negativity that surrounds the word showgirl when really it's just such, you know, the opposite of all of that. Really, it's 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 empowering. Showgirl is empowering. It's femininity. It's it's um, comfort in your own skin. It's it's sharing. It's sharing, right? And 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 that showgirl is in charge of how much she wants to share. And and not I'm not talking skin i'm talking you know essence and you know that that beautiful woman so you know it was just so so much to it and so yes i think that uh i think that unfortunately the term is cheapened with how it's used in other in other ways yeah because i remember when people would knew i worked in vegas and they've been cruise ships oh you're a showgirl and then i was like no 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 i was a dancer because even what the word showgirl was the mannequins at the earlier part where they to be nude, they weren't supposed to move. There's a great movie called, I think it's The the Mill. Judy Dench is in it. But it's basically, they could be topless as long as they didn't move. So the showgirl, and I think the word has just changed over the time. I mean, because even just culture, but even within the industry, like bluebells were covered, tall nudes were topless. And even I thought, I'm not nude. That word even feels confusing. Nude, but yeah. I wanted to justify that I was dancing more and I, I did it forever. Like, well, I wore the showgirl stuff, but then I also did a kick line. I felt like I had to justify that I was dancing in the show instead yeah. of just because I, you know, we love to show the pictures in our full feathers, but I felt like I always was working too hard to justify that I danced, that I wasn't just parading around. And interesting, because kind of piggyback on what Emma was talking about, um, for the ballet training, et cetera. The other big lesson I learned going down to Las Vegas, you know, I got into the show and I did a lot of uh, gigs. I did a lot of side gigs, anything I, I always want. I just love performing. It's one of my favorite things ever. So anything I could do, whatever it was, I would, you know, audition for a lot of stuff. And what was super interesting was just the level of talent in Las Vegas. Like those dancers, they they are classically trained. They are Broadway trained. They are, you know, they're coming from other areas of the country. What, the beauty of Las Vegas was that you could you could dance year round. It wasn't, you know, the Rockettes Christmas show was a Christmas show or you're on Broadway and you're doing a run. Like maybe maybe it's a six month run or, you know, whatever it is. But what, what you could do in Las Vegas is work year round. And there are, you know, multiple shows in that one place where you could you could you could have you could have a career as a dancer. And, you know, not just be a waiter that was waiting for that next gig and where you really want to be, which is on stage. So, you know, the level of talent blew me away. So people, I think, come from around the country where they're the big fish in their little pond. And then they get into a place like that where you're at an audition going, oh, these are all big fish. 
they're used to their little ponds. We're all now in a sea. Yeah, this is like, this, you know, and then you step up your game, you start going to class, like, you you know, you start to hone your skills even more and that that elevates that level even more. So that was another big, uh, a lovely lesson, which I love because it also dispels, you know, that showgirls, you could just pick somebody off the sidewalk and slap some feathers on them and call them showgirl. It's like, no, no, no. so much more to it. <laughs> That's a Halloween costume. That's a Halloween. Yeah. Uh, my yeah. favorite classes I ever took were, were Reno and Las Vegas because it, those, it was full of show people and they were from all over the world. So you were getting the best of all those that end up there. And so the level of training that we had, my cat just jumped off the ladder. Yeah. So there, it was just like, I had never seen that much talent and I was in Vegas, which is, you kind of assume that, but Reno, because our show was so big, we, everybody would teach each other. And I had never, even in New York, I still feel like what I got in Vegas and Reno was just the same as New York because the level of these dancers who were still training, they didn't get in the show and stop. People were still taking class. They were still doing side jobs and choreographing and it frees you up. You get the show at night and then you have like all this talent at your fingertips to do more. So again, it's not, it's not a lazy person's job. I would like to talk about um, the two articles. There was one in Paris. I don't know if you saw that, Emma. That, no, and then, and I sent one to Anne, but both of them came out within a few weeks of each other about why the Lido is closing was one of them in Paris about maybe with the Me Too movement, girls just parading around naked. I don't think they said parading. And somebody, the, the, even the author was not harsh, but just maybe the time has passed for these, what does a showgirl basically have to offer? And then I sent Anne one in Vegas about this show that closed NFX or something like that, where it's, it's got motorcycles and all this stuff in there. And then the, because the showgirls are basically passe that no one, there's not a place for her or basically no one cares. They came out similar time. And some of us are going, wait, is that what they thought we were? Is that how the showgirls viewed? So, Anne, would you, would you share, because I like what you said about that. Maybe it wasn't just the showgirls that closed the show. Well, yeah, I was reading that article going, well, maybe people just don't want to watch a show with motorcycles and comedians and acro in it. Like, why are we, why are we blaming the show not happening on the showgirl? Um, I mean, you have to, you know, I think we have, you know, like America's Got Talent. We have shows on TV right now that give the public like these little blips. It's kind of setting a trend, maybe even, you know, like very short acts. And in that hour of TV, which is what, 45 minutes of content, you might see, you know, 30 minutes of just different stuff. So maybe producers think, or, you know, but they think that people want to duplicate that in, in, you know, in a live show. Um, it's great at home because you can fast forward if you don't want to watch the, the that thing or whatever. But, you know, to, to take that to the stage and, and then say, well, you know, showgirl is passe. I think that's. I think that's one person's opinion, whoever wrote that, but um, I don't necessarily think that, uh, I feel like it's maybe even just trying to drive a certain type of show that they're trying to put out there, you know, versus truly that showgirl is passe. I don't think that at all. I think that they, that I think people want, do want to see it. I think that is a piece of our history. I think that is. And then when delivered in a way with beautiful, talented, strong, feminine women, it just, you know, I think we just need to have that opportunity out there for people to connect with again. You know, Vegas, I was there in the nineties, Vegas started to get, um, I don't want to, I don't want to use that word. That's a judgy word. So uh, more and more Cirque du Soleil shows were coming in. Right. Mm -hmm. And then now it's like, it was like a Cirque show. I don't know, let's say 11 casinos. I don't know why 11. I like 11. That's a good number. But let's say like <laughs> six or seven have Cirque shows now. 
So yeah, you, yeah but there is going to be a fatigue on Cirque shows too. Like already it's like, well, you know, does each show have a juggler, but uh, that one it's a little racier. So they're topless and that, you know, like there's going to be, you know, so I, I feel like also there's a trend that, um, that maybe, I don't even know how to say it. Like the people who think they understand what an entire world would want to see in entertainment are steering it towards this. Does that even make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. Because if it doesn't just edit this part out, because I, I know what it's, I know what I want to say up here. It's not happening up there. <laughs> can you, can you say about the Adele comment too? Because I think that was. Oh, yeah. just- so I, I thought it was that article, but I guess it's a different article, but Adele was, it was talking about showgirls and she, and she was commenting how she couldn't even find showgirls to sell, to work the concession stand where it's like, well, that makes sense that you can't find showgirls to do that because that's not what showgirls do. Like no. you should have showgirls on stage with you, Adele. And like, you know, just rocking out, you know, just being being there, like being on stage with you. But yeah, that was such an interesting comment too. It's another misconception of what showgirls do. Just yeah. stand there in feathers and sell you beer. That's like and a, hostess. <laughs> a hostess. Yeah. yeah. And did you, did you ever hear over the intercom, gg vantage did you ever hear that it was like an 80s thing it was a cigarette girls and they would have like little costumes and they'd have the the strap with the cigarettes and so i was like because i would come in through the casino always hear gg vantage go here or gg vantage to this and i'm like what is that so that's what the cigarette girls were that was what they would code like that was what they were and you'd see at caesar's there'd be girls dressed in the greek uh, goddess things you know to sell the, the drinks and stuff and so that's like well that's a showgirl then <laughs> gg vantage and uh, adonis or whoever i guess that's the guy sorry <laughs> so as we're i'm going to save all these questions i have so many people want to hear perspective how would you like it to be represented re- like when people we have all these books i bought the Lido or i got the Lido book free they gave that to me and i have it signed and i love and i have a stack of books that all of a sudden i'm interested in the history that i was part of and didn't pay attention. And now I want to collect it because it feels really important to me to have these keepsakes. Um, but for you, just not that you have to explain what you did, but how would you like the showgirl to be remembered? And maybe it will come back. And maybe because we care, it could come back in a different form. I think that a showgirl should re- be remembered as a feminine, elegant woman who is a professional professionally trained dancer and who is exceptional at the performance to portray a woman and to give as you said Anne earlier the essence of really like what real femininity is because anyone can be a trained great dancer maybe but to be a showgirl it's completely different it's the performance side of it as well you can stand there in a costume Yes, but if you don't have the essence and the soul from within, you know, the extra sparkle, it's, it's something else. It's not, it's not just a trained dancer. It's really a lot of the whole package. Ooh, yeah. Well, it's a lot. I have so many things going on in my brain, but I think you can add, you can keep adding on there because it's more than just one thing because True it gets class. you stirred up. Like you're, you're getting so animated telling about it. I know I it matters, <laughs> but I was like, yeah, bring it all because there's yeah. And, and if you want to share, then Emma, I'm, I'm open for lots more. You want to add to that because I think it matters <laughs> to us more than maybe we knew when they, we see it, like maybe it just doesn't matter anymore. We're like, mm, it's somehow yeah. matter to me. 
Well, I just want to piggyback on that thought because there was a um, somebody I danced with the Jubilee where if you saw her in the grocery store, uh, like maybe maybe she didn't maybe her shorts and her shirt didn't shouldn't really go together or like you know, she's like a little <laughs> awkward like you're just kind of like oh and you wouldn't honestly she's beautiful but she doesn't wear makeup you know you would probably just pass her by in a grocery store but that that woman on stage in mm. her finale costume in particular I mean what she radiates and so it's not how she behaves in her her everyday life it's what she brings to the stage and her performance in that costume that just knocks your stop. You're like, you stop and go, Oh, yes. she is stunning. And you're like, I, what is it about? I mean, she's beautiful, but I mean, like, you're like, what is it about her? Like what she can emanate and what she sends out is, is incredible. And so I like that part of what you're saying, Emma, it isn't just standing in a pretty costume, but there is a really nice relationship though, between like the designer who designs costumes to kind of help accentuate the female form and then the female yeah. in the costume to, to really, yep. To kind of, it's like a partnership between that to give it to the audience. Yeah, mm. exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, you even said with the new, the new show, the costumes weren't that glamorous and it felt wrong. I think you used some really great words too. It felt almost, it's not a betrayal, but there's something of like to take these beautiful dancers and put them in costumes that are less than what they should be. It was just like costumes which were undervalued. Like, you know, in the when the show wasn't ready, we were meant to have the opening of the new show. And they literally put us on stage in a string, like no jewelry, no feathers, nothing. And we were walking across a wall. It's actually in the new show as well. The girls, you're kind of walking across a wall. And I just, that was a moment in the new show, however, where I did feel like I was a stripper because we were undervalued and that was not a showgirl. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's, it needs to have respect from others as well. Like, you know, even if you're in a string, it's the whole package, it's the costume, the feathers, the jewelry, the class. You want to, as a showgirl, it's important for people to understand that we're classy women uh, it's nothing at all vulgar, but sometimes with these new shows, they're portraying the showgirl image as vulgar and it becomes a bit too much. It's the same as we spoke about in the first interview, Sherry, where the some of the heels classes, for example, I teach heels classes, but some of them in America, it's like, it's too much. It's too vulgar. They're all like licking their vaginas or whatever <laughs> they you know like they're rolling on the floor and they're rippling around their thing but it's just it's too much sometimes and they're like twerking on the floor like they're humping the floor that for me is not uh I feel like more shows want more of this you know like the girls humping the floor thrusting away but that's not what a showgirl is in heels. Like you can be so much more classy than that. So when I teach heels, I try to really represent that beautiful classy element. Oh, uh, so good. So many things. So many things. So many things. I, I taught a class um, with the, some of the, we have different styles of heels in Seattle and yes. we had all three of us. So I go, if you can do all these, you can mix it up. But I yeah. said, you can't floor hump in one of those costumes. You will never get up. It's like Muppet down. Like there's no way you would ever do it. Like, what, is you, what are you wearing? This would definitely help you decide what you're going to do. And then to have them hold still for eight counts, people squirm. They want to touch themselves. They don't know what to do. They look away. Yeah, go, Here's what a showgirl is. Can you hold an audience by just standing? And yeah. that, that people, you'd see people's eyes shift. They squirm. 
And then when I teach the classes and they, and you see someone do it for four counts, you're like victory because it's so not what dancers are used to. That means, well, now you're looking at me and like, well, if you don't want people to look at you, you probably don't want to go on stage, but it is like to let people look at you without apologizing or squirming or feeling like you have to add something to justify. I can't be on stage if I'm just standing, but boy, those girls that you see in yourself that could hold, hold an audience by just standing, that's magical. And it's that's so why funny. I think I love teaching bevels and walking the most. Like, I think I like, that's why I like that part the most, you know, the showgirl walk and the showgirl yeah. bevel, because it's, and I could teach, you know, you could spend an hour on both in any class because it's like, it is so hard and so different. And they're like, I'm just walking and they're drenched. They're like, no, I'm not just walking. Like, there's so much to this. I'm like, yes, so much to this. And I think that's my favorite. My favorite thing is to uh, slow everything down and celebrate the woman and uh take the time take the time to to perfect that that essence Mm. well we will end here and i may have to bring this out in two parts because i don't want to cut anything out and so we'll see how many people contribute so it might be a two-parter so ladies i honor you as esteemed showgirls bluebells glamorous glorious uh regal women and thank you so much for doing this. And we, who knows, this may come back at some point. And, and people, I always use blockbusters, a thing. People are like, well, blockbuster's gone. Now I want it back, you know? So maybe with a little bit of time, people say, remember when, sh- when shows were glamorous and they took you away from the troubles instead of like, let's just do a show about depressing current events. Um, maybe, maybe it'll be needed when people understand what it really was. Mm-hmm. Thank you all. And I'm going to post your beautiful pictures when this comes out. Thank you. Thank you. you. Pleasure. (laughs) So we said we were done and then we just had this discussion after. So I'm back with Emma and Anne because, Anne, can you say what you just said after we were done recording? Yeah. I, yeah. You know, the last question Sherry asked was, you know, how do we want the showgirl to be remembered? I kind of don't really want to dive too deeply in it because I don't want it to just be a memory. I want to figure out what are the next steps for the showgirl? Like, what does it look like? Is it a smaller version right now? You know, maybe it's a smaller local version, um, regional version versus, you know, uh, Champs-Élysées and Las Vegas and the spots. Maybe it's really regional. And But what does it look like? Smaller show? dedicated people how do we get the show go back back out there because i i don't want it to just be a memory i don't want to just remember the show girl i wanted her i want her to continue and i do think that there is an audience for it i think there's a space for it and a place for it we just said to what does that look like what does that look like now mm. it won't be in the hands of the corporate world no no okay, because that's where i think it all got skimmed down to nothing with with people that don't understand the arts that are controlling the art houses and yeah, what was, what was that for you too? Like what, like, no, this, we're not making a memory. We're going to just bring it differently. I mean, I live right by Monte Carlo, right? And I just do not understand why there is no showgirl classy show here in Monte Carlo. It just, seriously, it's just crazy. There's so much money here. And most tourists come for the day in Monaco because there's nothing really to do. They come for a day and then they go back and stay in Nice because, okay, they come. But if there was a show or a cabaret, it would just make them come to see something. I just don't, I don't know. I would love to have a show here. 
I would dance on it for sure. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe it's us, all of us that need to make it happen. That's partly why I'm doing my show, why Anne was invested. Yes. Because back in the 80s and the 90s, when it was at its heyday, I worked in Bermuda and we got paid well. We lived in the hotel. But what they did is they'd bring people from the cruise ship, would come to see the show, have dinner, and then stay in gamble. And then they would stay and listen to the band and drink more. In Las Vegas, Anna worked and worked in Nassau, Bahamas. Wait, did you do Nassau? No. No, I was in I was in Freeport. Freeport. But that's Bahamas. Right. <laughs> but that, yeah, that, that was a lot of those same Puerto thing. Rico, the same thing. The tourists would come in, they would take them to see the four shows that were on the island, and they would spend their money in the casino. But then let's say with Vegas, people just they kind of just go hotel to hotel because now there's so much variety. They don't just go, I'm gonna go to Jubilee, see the show, have dinner, gamble, maybe sit in the lounge and listen to an act. So the way that it's been marketed, if it is like in Monte Carlo, I'm going to stay and see a show tonight. Like this, I don't know. I think if people catch on that, this actually could help tourism. Especially yeah. with the cruise ship. I mean, ships have to go in there, right, Emma? Yeah, be, there's yeah. so many, so many cruise ships. I mean, okay, in the winter, it's a bit dead. But if we had a summer six-month contract, for example, uh, back in the day, there was a show in Monte Carlo called Le Cabaret. But again, it was one of those shows where there was not enough money put into the costumes and it wasn't enough class, which is why in the end it was just like old gentlemen's club vibes and the girls were seemed a bit like strippers, not really classy. But if they put on a show really like what Lido is, I think it could work. But it's just, you know, targeting the right people. And again, it's... A question of which audience do we target? As you say, Anne, there's so many cruise ships here. So uh... Yeah. I mean, I know there's a need for it based solely on the response from the first show, A Night in Paris, Sherry show that we did in March. And it was a very small venue, right? But very personable. And the first, we did two shows that night, right, Sherry? And the first, the, they didn't want to leave. They didn't want to leave. They want. They were so bowled over they were so impressed they were so invested in the yeah. show that they didn't want to leave we had a we had a Kate we're okay we got another show we got we need you to leave and they literally stayed out in the hallway while the other like where all the other folks came in for the second show like that's how I know that there is a need and like the right venue where because the, the exchange was incredible exchange of energy between the dancers and the audience and the dancers and the audience going back and forth like that it yeah. was palpable it was incredible. The audience was blown away. The dancers felt it. It was just such a, an incredible evening. So like there is, there is a need, need and a desire and a want out there. So it's like, well, what does that actually look like? And I just wanted to add one more thing. It's just like, ever since this whole few years, we've been through hell, right? We've had COVID pandemic. We've had like this war in Ukraine. Everything in the world is just going corrupt. Uh, everything's just quite bad and I feel like they're scrapping away entertainment but this is actually what people need they need to mm. take their mind off the world and the current situation and be blown away by dazzling classy showgirls yeah. yes 100%. Mm. it worked during the war, war time it was always that's that's yeah. why those golden era of the musicals were like let's just totally put, and then you still can deal with life think it's still going to be there when you're done Okay. I think that's wonderful. So what element would you bring into, this is going to go longer, This every one of these might just be its own episode. <laughs> what would you want to bring in? Because obviously, like my show, I got uh, refurbished costumes or I missed and Gad, I bought some from hers. I've been collecting showgirl headpieces for a while, not even know, knowing why yet. I just knew I had to get them while they were going. But 
it doesn't have to be Bob Mackie, P. Menifee costumes. Nope. I mean, even though that'd be lovely, even yep. though some of those are in storage <laughs> somewhere, not being used. Karen Burns yep. has a whole Hello Hollywood thing. Jubilee has, I mean, uh, Lido has those costumes. I don't know if that goes with the new owners, but there are people that are great costume designers, but a small venue could be just a beautiful way. You just don't have to have 10 foot tall showgirls. So, Anne, what, what would you bring into these? Like, what do you think of the element that why that worked in a night in Paris or what you would see in Monte Carlo or, you know, other places that always had to go to Vegas or Paris to see a show. Like if all of us, all of these bluebells that are spread out around the whole world, there are people that have the desire to do this in places that are people have never even seen this. I think uh, I'm going to base it all on the feedback that I got from people that night because they were very vocal because they were, they, they were so excited about the night. So the feedback was they did think that the costumes were next level. Like they thought that the costumes looked beautiful um, quality and like, it didn't, you know, it didn't feel like a, with tape and staples and, you know, hot, <laughs> yeah. you know, felt legit. It felt beautiful because of the, our finale with or the finale is a showgirl, you know, sparkly, beautiful feathers. So they were really taken by, and but they talked about just across the board, the costumes looked on point. So part of it is having nice costumes. And yeah. then I think it's about having to Emma's point that she's made a couple of times is to have well-trained dancers. So the show, you can't just walk, somebody off the street could not walk in and do your show, Sherry. That is challenging choreography. Yeah. It's challenging choreography. You got to be on point and uh, not literally in ballet, but I mean, like, you know, you got to be able to do your stuff. You got to do your stuff. And I think that's, I think it's that. So the, the level of dance and the costumes, you know, yeah. you get talented Ooh. people in there and really nice costumes. I mean, our singers were bonkers, you know, the singers are nuts in our show. So, you know, you just, you look for high quality and, you know, talent and yeah well, only wanna, the show's only oh just hour. only over yeah it's only an hour the other thing is like you, it's not a three-hour show you leave they leave wanting more it's a short yeah. show you know they could go have dinner before or after they're coming for that hour yeah. just hour plus and i think that's also another good component there's no intermission there's not yeah. a lot you know the jugglers don't come out so that the dancers have a break you know it's like fast paced and i think that's the other piece Mm. what I want to do where people go out to dinner like maybe you dress up because we don't do that anymore but I do want to say we can have trained dancers but what we've been working with them is to embody the showgirl because yeah. just the trained dancers they that this is something they are progressing in they're not there yet even though they're wonderful they are getting better each time but that would be like let's raise that also yeah oh the yeah showgirl essence because they we yes. didn't have the first time they'd put them on. They looked great, but they were just getting, it was new to them. Second time, better. Third time, let's like, let the finale of them just standing and being beautiful be just as powerful as when they're kicking a six minute can-can. That's right. Emma, what about you? What do you think about would be the essence to bring into the show? Um, yes, I, I'm agreeing with you. I think you need really, really good trained dancers um, and performance level mm. on point not because I mean I've watched so many dancers in the past who are like you know so well trained but then on stage they're a bit like Bambi in headlights they're not really, <laughs> you know they don't really give them much ooze or showbiz so definitely that um and definitely yeah really high quality costumes um and I guess also kind of music choice because these days um I feel like the old-fashioned Lido songs maybe don't work so more, you know, like Ali Lido. Duh, duh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
trying to mix, you know, kind of jazz with showgalism, uh, but maybe something more modernized on that front with music. But um, yeah, definitely high quality dancers, high quality costumes for sure. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> That's, you just said that word twice, showgirlism. I think it needs to. I, I think it needs to go in the dictionary. That the maybe that's the title. Surrealism. It's it's now a word. I love it. Okay, so that was worth coming back for because if it is just like something's ending, it's like, well, no, actually, and there's I know there's shows in Germany. I know there are still shows going, and they're on a smaller level. And so, yeah, to just say just because Alito, because the Moulin Rouge is still going, part, there are other shows that are still going. Yeah. So the showgirl will be remembered, and maybe the others you know who knows what happens to cabaret but sometimes this, yeah there's sometimes it has yeah. to be a little bit afraid we have to be afraid it's going away to understand the importance of preserve of preserving and keeping it going so one door okay closes. now i mean it i'm oh, sorry <laughs> emma's got a last thought no, i was gonna say one door closes another one opens right <laughs> we're gonna make it a sparkly door and we're gonna come through <laughs> with all of our plumes <laughs> it's got rhinestone handles okay that was worth coming back for ladies so i thank you so much for that because i just call this very heartfelt and um and you're in th- your thinking through this instead of it just all being emotion too because it could just be like yeah. what's the point as opposed to like no there actually is some really beautiful hope pieces in this one all right. Okay. So now I mean it. I'm going to say goodbye. <laughs> okay. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> so we are here for more wonderful input for more beautiful showgirls for the title, how the show, girl, how will the showgirl be remembered? And I just reached out to different people whose interviews really impact me of how the, it mattered to them of how the showgirl was represented. So for this episode in particular, um, you know, why it matters, why it matters to you, maybe some of the misrepresentations and why we usually have to start with what it's not instead of what it is. Um, it's like, we have to like, what's well, kind of like this, but it's not like that. And people say, oh, it's burlesque. You say, no, it's not burlesque. So it feels like we start backwards instead of like, is there a way to start with it? This is what a showgirl is. So Athena, who has um, the, the podcast Showgirl's Life, and, sh- and I'll have you tell a little bit of what you did. This was an important thing to you because I think the way you asked it showed your passion and your, I wanted, I want this to be known. So Athena, can you just tell a little bit where you worked and about your podcast? And then I'll, I'll ask the next question after. Okay. <laughs> I was in Jubilee from 2000 to 2005. I was, I started off as a bluebell because I was afraid to be topless, but I wanted to be one of the principals. So that was kind of (laughs) required. Uh, So it took me only three months and then I was promoted to a tall nude. I'm about five, nine. So that was kind of ridiculous, but there was a spot open. (laughs) So uh, I went to the tall nude line and was there for the rest of the contract and then uh, moved into the short nude line, which kind of was where they incubated the principals and the understudies. It just was historically what I found out how they did things there. And then after four years, I was promoted to principal uh, when uh, they made space for four four girls. And I got to uh, be a principal with Linda Green, who was one of the originals in the show. So um, after about five years, it got really tiring. (laughs) And I left and started the rest of my life. And... um, about 
let's see, 2019, I went to the Bluebells reunion in Paris, and that's when I had the idea, and Sherry had the idea to start the podcasts. <laughs> so I started Showgirls Life, not knowing that Sherry had already started hers. And uh, that's how we met and become friends. And now, you know, it was important for me to put this podcast out there to tell the stories of the people, not just the faceless showgirl, which is what people see. There was no stars. We all just, we fit into that role as, you know, we came and left and the showgirl was an icon. Uh, it, she, there was no stars. And so I think that is part of the reason the showgirl as something to get behind and remember is hard to remember that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the questions that you asked, I think you did every episode. Cause I remember you asked me and I, I, even though I think I know what it is, it still made me stumble for words when you say, what is a showgirl? Yeah. So you heard, I don't, how many answers did you hear? I asked, uh, the first 49 people, I think wow. something like that. Yeah. Um, the first, uh, 50 episodes because I released that as uh, what is a showgirl episode 50. And I just compiled everybody's answers. Some were better than others, <laughs> <laughs> but it made me realize that uh, a showgirl is not just a physical thing. It's an energy that we embodied when we were on stage. And I also learned because I didn't know this, I thought a showgirl was what I was doing on stage. It was a girl in feathers. And I learned that is not what a showgirl is. Back when the Bluebells came from Paris, they had a line of showgirls and those girls were topless. Those were showgirls. That's what a real showgirl is. That was a girl who paraded. She didn't dance. She didn't have any dance training. She was a pedestrian and all she did. But over the years, the 80 years that showgirls were in Vegas, we all got lumped into that, that category of being showgirls. And then uh, I learned that they wanted some of the nudes to start dancing. And that's when Don Arden created the dancing nudes. So mm. we all are, or have been one or all three of these types of um, showgirls. And we all know a showgirl when we see it when we're walking down the strip or we see those girls walking down the strip, we know for a fact they're not showgirls, number one, because they don't have classical training. <laughs> number two, their costumes were bought on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> For Mardi Gras mostly. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, I posted that uh, episode on my website and somebody came and made a comment on the post and said, well, what about the girls in Brazil? What about, and I'm like, they're not showgirls. <laughs> listen to the episode, listen to the whole episode, and you'll see that this is about Las Vegas showgirls. And, and just like Rachel was saying before we started, she wanted to go to Vegas and be a real showgirl because Paris wasn't enough. Like <laughs> to yeah. me, those are French showgirls. <laughs> like that's like amazing, but I get it. I took, because I I've seen that I saw the Lido, the latest rendition of Lido, never got to see the originals, the older ones. Oh. Um, it's called Rouge. They're much smaller scale. So I totally get it. Like going to Vegas and being a showgirl. Like, yeah. 
so it's always, yeah, we do have to start with what it's not because I think we have to smash the, the um, misperceptions that people have. What are some of the, the answers that, that I, I can think of one that I'll say later, what are some of the answers that people said that made you kind of stop and go, wow, because there are some good ones. Some of them are like, it's so hard to put into a sentence or two. It's been so long since I've listened to the episode, Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Who was who like, the, the one that said it's the ability to hold still? Allison. That, that one I use when I teach showgirl thing because when I will teach the walks and I have them hold still eight counts, people will look past themselves in the mirror. They'll look around. They, they um, squirm. They fidget. And I say, oh, that is something because you want to be seen on stage. But when you're actually seen, people don't know what to do with it. Like if I'm not looking busy, I better drop in the splits or do a turn because I can't hold still for eight counts. That one, I think is, I remember a lot of them, but that one was the one that stood out because you don't have to do anything, but just be, to be beautiful. And I just, that one stuck out to me. So thank you, Allison, for that one. Yes. That's why I put it last. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, this is like blew it did blow my mind and as women I think part of just being a woman is um we we can't just be still we can't just be in this patriarchal world we have to be doing in order to fit in and you know experience less oppression I guess um, we always have to be the capable mom or, you know, like Rachel was saying, the best mom. It's like, yeah, it's, this has been drilled into us. You can't just sit and be because that's lazy, unproductive, whatever. Like there's so many reasons why just standing there and receiving the appreciation of the audience is really uncomfortable, mostly for women. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's but um something they, they teach in burlesque is uh, a few teachers will teach every pretend that you're posing for the camera. So don't just rip through your glove, stop and slowly pull it off and stop. And I think that we mastered that as showgirls just because, uh, well, Don Arden was an incredible um, with the staging he made sure that the choreographers would build that stop time so that we could just stop and stand there and just be admired and revered. Oh, yeah. I've um, used the example, like when you go to, like say you're in Paris, you go to Louvre or you go to art museum, the art of men, they're usually holding a head, something they just killed or conquered or a weapon <laughs> or there, or a, a sore, I mean, there's always something and the beautiful yeah. pictures of women are they're reclining. And a lot of times they're, they're barely dressed, yep. but yeah. in the arts, if you go to see a museum, you don't see women doing dishes or with a yeah. head in their hand. And so like, why is it that art form? We appreciate the beautiful women at rest. And like, also just think if, if we appreciated the woman being still, it'd be nicer for marriages because when you're with somebody that's constantly buzzing, as opposed to someone who can just be, it puts everybody else at ease instead of like, Oh, I better be working. Cause you're making me feel guilty because you're working so hard. And we do it to each other. Right. And as women, that is one of our superpowers is holding space and nurturing. And if we're constantly going, 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 we can't let everyone else rest 
and take space and just be. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. And so I'm going to come back to you, Athena, with another yeah. question. Rachel, one, the reason I wanted you to come on here is we just did your interview not that long ago and your response to reading in the paper, the one that was in Paris, about the showgirl just parading around naked on stage and your, your response was so heartfelt. But I think that's what a lot of us, like, is this, can you say what that was and why that kind of hurt your heart? No, I can't remember what I said, really. I, but I, I think, um, well, I was getting from one of that first, a Facebook post came up that the show was closing um, and not just the show was closing, the Lido was just going to close and disappear forever. Um, and I was thinking, surely there's something we can do. Surely we can go and speak to the people who are these hotel people, whoever they are, who are taking over. And I, and I wanted to find out about it. And I thought, God, I wonder if we could actually stop this from happening somehow and I got very into it and I thought gosh could we do you know like a big demonstration outside can we get a petition what can we do so then I wanted to look into it more and I was like who are these hotel people anyway what so I looked into that and then it happened to be that some woman had written an article because she would found out that the Lido was closing and then she'd said um that is this i can't really remember what i what it was it was something it's like girls parading around the, top yeah, she was saying, is this the yeah is this perhaps this is she 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 was sort of almost thinking out loud and then writing it down and sort of saying do we really is this something is this a bad thing that it's closing you know, she was sort of asking questions. She wasn't saying, I don't like the whole showgirl thing. She wasn't saying that. She was just sort of saying, um, is there really, I mean, it's sad that it's closing um, and that girls be losing work. She did mention that. And then she said, um, but is there really a place for this kind of show, this kind of, uh, you know, with, with girls walking around topless? Is there still a place for that nowadays? Now women are more powerful and more, you know, and they run their own businesses. And, uh, you know, do we really need to see women walking around looking like that? And it really, it was like a weird, um, I mean, really, I understood what she was saying because then I started questioning it. And I was thinking, I started thinking exactly that. I was like, gosh. Is that right? Is that really, you know, do these, do modern women, I mean, when I meet young girls like my daughter's age, 18, they're very, very, um, not feminist, you know, but they're very, you know, they don't like um, women. They, you know, they want women to be strong and they've really, they're really good at, um, talking about you know little things little things when they they were quite little they I would say oh look there's a little squirrel in the garden look at him go look at him go and they go but how do you know that's a man a boy squirrel why aren't you saying oh look at that she's a that's a girl why do we always assume that oh that's a boy or that's the the man or look at that those two birds out there look at that he's a man 
bird, whatever, you know what, yes. it, you know what I mean? And it was, it sort of hit me. I was like, oh, that's true. Why, why do I always go straight to that's the guy? So anyway, so I was thinking these modern girls, perhaps they don't, they don't, they go, ew, you know, walking around with your boobs out. They, perhaps they don't, perhaps it doesn't impress them. And it just started making me feel like, oh no, are people really not going to, is it, are we going to disappear? Is this whole thing just going to fade away and fade away at some point in the future? Are people going to go, do you know, I found a old book and there's like these girls walking around with their boobs out. And that's all we're going to be thought of. And they're going to think that was the weirdest thing ever. People used to do that. And then I, and that, that kind of troubled me. And I thought, oh my gosh, because, and then I, then it made me question, what do I actually think of it? How can I, if I talk to people and I, I don't tend to say, actually, yes, I was a topless dancer in Paris. I don't say that to people. Do you? Do you, do you, do you actually announce yourself if you meet people? I said, I was a dancer at the Moulin Rouge and, oh, and it was fabulous. And I say that, but I don't say, and sometimes you get a cheeky person who says, oh, did you get your, your knockers out? And then I said, well, actually, I did because I was principal. And then when you've been the principal, you, that's what you need to do. You just take that extra step. And then I always say, and I don't know why I'm sort of making excuses. And always we had the incredible costumes and all the bijoux. So it wasn't really what you think of it. And then I'm starting to make excuses. And then I get myself all in a twist, you know, because I'm actually very proud of it. And I think... Um, and I've, I heard a story about somebody who said, oh, I, cause I give talks on my life as a dancer in Paris. And I go to a group of men. I go to groups of women. Do you, I don't know if you get the WI. Do you have the Women's Institute? Mm -mm. It's fantastic. These women get together and they, it, it was sort of during the war and they would be sewing and making things and helping people. And now they just, now they help the people, the girls in um, Iran and places like that who can't even go to school. They raise money. They're incredible. And they're all, you know, in their 80s and they're fantastic people. And I give talks to the WI and I give talks to the men's groups. There's also group. They all meet and get together. And um, somebody came up to me once after I'd done a talk and she said that she had found an old a piece of writing or a book and she discovered that her mother had been at the Folie Bergère and she said it was so shocking but thrilling to know she was like god my mum she did that she danced on stage so she, so that was nice to hear that was great so and my girls are actually proud of what I've done and there was just there was somebody once some girl who came up and said, oh, I hear you were a burlesque dancer or, you know, one of those. Or, I heard you were one of those. But on the whole, it's been, they say, well, my daughter says that her friends say I'm a legend. So what more could you ask? For? Oh, oh, that's, you so know, good. I mean, and that's a word, you know, they, 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 I was just, I was very nice really that they said that, but I just, um, I think that doing this, doing podcasts and things like this to keep to keep it alive and to realize that 
I've got to read you this. It's, it's pointless me going on and on. I just, this is what I do at the end of my talk. Can I do it? Yes, please. Because when I did my talks, I did, I had no idea that I enjoyed research. I researched, researched, researched. I researched all about Paris. I researched all about the beginnings, how it all happened, where it came from. And I went mad because I thought, when you go and give talks, these particular groups of people, um, it's sort of like an educational thing. They want to learn stuff. So I thought, I've got to make my talk you know, educational. So, and then I found this about Miss Bluebell, because then I, I give a whole big talk, how I used to wear costumes and do this, and then this is what we did in this bit, and I bring them, I take them like a little fly on the wall, then we got changed into this outfit, and then we did this show, and then we did this dance and what have you. So I'm telling them all these stories, stories about, you know, like when we had the chimpanzees on stage and working with the animals, and that was all kind of weird, and anyway, and that's now gone. That whole circus thing, don't have that anymore. That's gone. But anyway, so then I end the talk with this. Of course, you know, none of this. I wouldn't be standing here talking and telling you about my life as a dancer in Paris if it wasn't for Miss Bluebell. So then I tell them a bit about Miss Bluebell's history, how she saw a tall woman standing at a bar next to a short man. And then she thought, oh, a line of tall girls. And, um, you know, that she's uh, Margaret Kelly, you know, all that stuff. And then I found this thing, Miss Bluebell, as she became known eventually, um, had a vision. And this is the quote. I wanted them tall with long necks to show off the costumes with their big feathers, cloaks and trains. I wanted long legs because they show up better. And I wanted the girls to look as though they were enjoying themselves. The ballet training is essential. That's my favorite line because it produces good posture. Oh, what's happened to my thing? Here we are. Because it produces, oh, where am I? The ballet training is essential because it produces good posture and an elegant look. I've based my reputation on elegance and class. But she didn't want just any old pretty face either. She wanted girls with character who could express herself because she said that about herself. She said, I'm a character, you know. And then I go on and on. So, but I think that's just, that's great. That's straight from her mouth, that, mm. that whole thing. And so that made, that, with that, that makes me think, well, well, yeah. I, you know, they're just because the Lido's closing doesn't mean that we're not going to see any more beautiful shows because mm. it's all it's all entertainment at the end of the day and it's fun and beautiful. Have you seen the show at the Moulin Rouge mm -hmm. yeah. with all the pink at the end? <laughs> yeah, when they light up. And it's just pink and then pink and then more pink and then more pink. And there was just so much pink that I was just crying because I was so full of joy. I was like, it's just wonderful. And it's, and you know, and the, the naked bit is it, for me, it's a little bit tongue in cheek. You know what I mean? Do you know what I mean by tongue in cheek? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a bit of an English thing. No, whereby yeah. we don't take it too seriously. And that's where they went wrong with that last ridiculous show in the Lido. <laughs> was they were taking themselves too seriously 
because it's supposed to be a, it's supposed to be a beautiful, fun thing, don't you think? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We'll let that one. We'll anyway, I don't know if kind of I said what I was meant to say. Did yeah, I say that the right was, thing? That was good, Rachel. That was really good. Oh, that was really good. I had to hear from Miss Bluebell's perspective. So we're going to end with this with Athena of why it matters, of why you put all that labor into your podcast and how you formatted it and the questions you asked and the people you chose. This wasn't just entertainment. It seems like just we got to do a road trip together and how seeing the costumes and hearing the stories matters. I think that that was really fun to connect with you. Like we're not just doing this as a frivolous thing, but what is the part that really matters to you that you would love to have more people understand? Even the hell reflects of your own personal choice to do this as a career. I think we got dismissed in this too. The showgirl gets dismissed all the work we put into training and auditioning and leaving family to go live somewhere else gets dismissed. Yeah. I mean, that's mostly for all entertainers that they experience yeah. that. Um, I think that uh, it's important because it validates what we did. And there are, you know, history, history books that are being rewritten because they're written based on who was in power at the time. And <laughs> the showgirl wasn't appreciated uh, probably in the ways that Miss Bluebell had hoped. I mean, there were, there's people have different intentions when they go to see a showgirl production. Some were going to see going to see it to get aroused and some were seeing going to see the splendor and beauty of a woman. And I think that we get dismissed, especially because we don't fit, we don't really fit into the entertainment, like the professional dancer world, because we had our boobs out. And that's like, oh shame. So there's a lot of shame that we have had to work through and mm. the whole object objectification of women. And I'm like, well, you know, at least we as showgirls got to experience what I think we should feel like as women every day, revered and appreciated. And yes, it was for our beauty. <laughs> and we were a very elite exclusive group of women all over the world in our different troops and things. But I feel like it's important to remember that because women, especially Miss Bluebell and, you know, later it was Fluff and, um, and Diane, I only know the Vegas history, sorry, but they fought hard for that representation of a very unique group of women that had grace and beauty and, the certain physique that was required and was the standard Miss Bluebell set all those years ago at the Follies. So it's just important, I think, to remind people of what it was, even though the showgirl will be evolving. Mm -hmm. I am curious that I see people donning her name that don't know the first thing about what it really means to be a showgirl the people on the streets walking in those shitty costumes, sorry. Um, <laughs> the burlesque people that are now calling themselves showgirls. It's infuriating. It is, yeah. it is so sure. triggering because I know how hard we worked, 
how hard it was to be a showgirl in those shows. It wasn't just walking around with a pretty costume on. That pretty costume weighed 15 to 35 pounds. And if you fell over, you were in trouble. <laughs> like people did, they dismiss all of the things that went into it and think that it's just a pretty girl in feathers. Mm-hmm. And they did uh, the annual, the first annual showgirl parade on whatever day in, I can't believe, I, I think it was beginning of June. Every single person in that parade was never a showgirl. That's what pissed me off the most. It was just a bunch of burlesque people and drag queens walking down Main Street or Fremont Street, wherever it was. I was furious. Oh, but, but they got isn't there a part of you, can I just, but isn't there a little part of you that thinks, well, maybe they're doing that because they would have loved to have been a showgirl? I had a burlesque legend come up to me after my performance at the Las Vegas Burlesque Festival and said, I wanted to be a showgirl so badly, but she oh. couldn't because she didn't have training. And she, so she was doing burlesque between the sixties and eighties when it was like in its high time. And so I know that they wanted to, but they're not trying, like, not that there are showgirl classes. (laughs) They're just appropriating us. They're appropriating the showgirl and it pisses me off. (laughs) Um, It's very triggering to see that. And then I just saw that there's a showgirl in Denver but it's a drag queen. She has no no right to call herself a showgirl, in my opinion. Um, you know, I worked really hard my whole life to have those five years on that stage and to be in one of the best showgirl productions ever put on in the world. So when I see people just putting on feathers and saying, I'm a showgirl, it's infuriating. So mm. it's unfortunate. Um- that that's going to happen because then what the showgirl really is, is not going to be remembered. That's why it's important to keep this information out there, to keep the podcasts going, to keep uh, like the uh, special collections that UNLV has Miss Bluebell's scrapbooks. That is hundreds and hundreds of pages of articles about Bluebells from the forties through, I think when she passed. So that's why. Ladies. I thank you so much for that because it definitely it gets the heart going. It's not we're not just you know, you know I could go put a cowboy hat and say I'm a cowboy. It's 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 a lot more. There's a lot more of of uh, how we know it to be, and a lot of us came to it later. I didn't understand the importance of it till being away from it. And I think that's a lot of us are coming back to like, oh my gosh, this is going away. And I was a part of a legend I didn't even know I was a part of when I was doing it. So the standard, all that is just to make me go. I feel like it validates. It makes me feel not because before like, Oh, I dance. I didn't just show. I, I would only, like you said, Rachel, I wore these pretty costumes. I feel like I've always come at it with a defense as opposed to just now saying, yes, I was a showgirl. I was a dancer in these beautiful shows. End of sentence. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I don't have to justify it. And maybe the more information that's out there and the more stories, and I think the more pictures in the costumes where people are like, wow. Yeah. When I, that. when I give them, when I give my talks, um, you know, even to just a group of men, I mean, the very first talk I did, there were people who were being, some of the guys have been a bit silly and they're going, oh yeah, she's going to get the fans out and they're a bit silly. And I just carried on. And I said exactly that, that we get called the, the wrong name, the wrong name gets associated with 
the girls. And that's why I like that quote from Miss Bluebell about the ballet is essential, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, after I'd finished that first talk and I thought, oh, God, I really don't want to do this to a group of gentlemen anymore. It's a bit weird. And there was this one chap who was the one who'd been calling out. He came up to me afterwards and he said, thank you so much because you've opened up my mind. I had no idea about that whole life and how, and he went on and he apologizes that I was an idiot at the beginning. And now I give talks, I don't care. I, give the, I did a talk on Tuesday to a group of older gentlemen. They are so sweet. They were all like my dad. They're all so <laughs> lovely and they treat me so well. And they, this, the, the president of this group of men, he held my hand and he said afterwards, um, well, he just said all these wonderful things. And he said, thank you so much. He said, you took us there. We went with you to Paris and we, we've, and they would, you know, so that's how we got to do it. If all of us don't worry anymore about, you know, or just if you want to say you were topless, say you're topless. If you don't want to say it, because it doesn't mean either way. Right. And I mean, when I say to people I was topless, I say, to be honest, it was great. Because when I was a cover dancer, I worried all the time that I was going to lose my top. So actually, <laughs> I was like, hooray, they're out and off we go. You know, I don't have to worry about, oh, is my, am I showing my nip, my nips falling out? You know, you don't have to worry. So I think if we just, we just got to encourage all of everybody to just, just to tell people. And that's the only way, isn't it? And then stories and podcasts and writing about it. And Lectures. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a good way to end. That is such a good way to end. Um, I adore both you ladies. Thank you for coming on and doing this. And I hope we get a lot of people that will start to tell their story and to, and to own it, that we did this. And this is a good thing to own. Much love to you. You're beautiful. Both of you. It was lovely to meet you, Athena. Oh my God. Look how beautiful she is. She should be a Spanish flamenco dancer. (laughs) Beautiful. Oh my God. And you're Sherry. So lovely to see you. Thank you. I'm honored that you, that you've asked me back when my blah, 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 nonstop. No, it was so good. I wanted you because you have heartfelt things to say. Okay. Much love to you. I'm ending here and then this will come out and we will post all the beautiful photos. So I have the privilege of having Pete Menifee on again. So Pete, we're part of this whole, how the showgirl will be remembered. And all the people I've talked to, we're kind of piecing this together. It's such a confusing word, even to those of us who did it. And so we've had the perspective of starting with what it's not. We're not strippers. We had to clarify that we actually danced, that we had, you know, the assumptions were all over the place. And a lot of us found ourselves almost being defensive, saying we were a showgirl. Oh, but, but I danced or I didn't do that. And, or if I said Vegas, it felt like people assumed it was one thing. If I said Reno, then like they must have thought the show wasn't anything. So it just like, we kind of already have this justification for this thing that was so beautiful. Yeah. It would be nice to just say, I did this and it was wonderful, but it's got so many weird assumptions, connotations. Yeah. And it's and changed I, over the years. It's and it's changed. And I think that that's a part that we don't agree because even the different generations that, that it was the mannequins and then it was, the, you know, the showgirls didn't dance. And then by the time, hello, Hollywood, hello and Jubilee and hallelujah, the nudes 
were dancing a lot. Yeah, and so Bell insisted that they be trained dancers, not just could dance. Uh, in fact, most of our tall women uh, flunked out of ballet companies because, you know, if you're even five, eight and a half, which was the minimum height for our women, uh, once you're on point, you're, you're probably six, two or six, three. Yeah. And, and who the hell's going to partner you? Yeah. All these lonely girls that never got to, <laughs> you have to get on a ladder to do a finger turn with a woman that tall. <laughs> that would be a cute duet. Because um, I know that you came along. What was your very first Don Arden show? Was it? Hello, Hollywood. It was Hello, Hollywood. Had, yeah, and you yeah. had seen Hallelujah, Hollywood. Because I really, before I we get to what you got to, you had seen what Don Arden brought to Vegas. Yeah. And so that was, it. there was Follies Bergere, which there were showgirls. But then oh, they were, really were. There were showgirls all over. There were showgirls at the dunes that uh, Vinyas uh, dressed. Uh, there were shows at, uh, I think, it, oh, the Desert Inn that Bill Campbell dressed who also did part of your show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so there were a lot of shows that had showgirls and dancers and stuff, but m- most of the showgirls were just beautiful women who, who walked. They were like models. They, uh, they had no dance training. And of course, all of Don's women starting with Hallelujah were really well-trained dancers. I mean, you know, and, uh, and even that audition process must have been different for Vegas because you either go audition as a showgirl non-dancer or dancer so when I went it was like 300 people but the audition we had to dance and then ask if you would do topless but yeah. it wasn't they were two they weren't two separate auditions so that must have thrown Vegas off a little bit too like oh he wants you to do both yeah but uh, I mean the primary thing was uh, dancing. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, 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 if you were in one of Don's shows and you were a mediocre dancer, you didn't get hired. You, you just didn't get hired. The women uh, were all extraordinary dancers and most of them had very, very heavy ballet backgrounds and uh, which is kind of the basis for everything. And it also gives you a uh, a, a kind of stature, the way you carry yourself uh, in ballet is very much uh, like you expect show, show girls, show women to look. And uh, uh, it was, but it's, you know, it's a lot of boxes to check. And Don's auditions were really tough. How Let's many, talk about that because you sat in on him, right? And you, I did. I had, in one of your interviews, you could tell when someone walked on, you knew he was going to lay into them, but you were seeing what he wanted because you could, I mean, when you see that many dancers, 300 dancers yeah. in audition, you, you could just space out, but he's, he knows what he's looking for, but you also get to see what he's going to hire, what you're going to design for. I'm just curious what that was like for you to see what that audition it is. Like, this long. is what he's going to give me to work with. It was long. I'll tell you, it was kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah. And uh, I had to be there to measure the kids. You know, I wanted to measure everybody myself. So I, I was working off the way I cut clothes and stuff. And, uh, you know, you'd sit there and you'd see some, somebody slump across stage. And I, and I would 
I, I think this person must have a death wish yeah. because he had done had a real reputation for for uh, being laying into people and being pretty crude. And uh, and some of the people, you know, auditioned anyway. And some of them he laid into, you know, so it must have been very difficult for him. And and uh, especially with singers, but all, also dancers. He wanted really well-trained dancers uh, that learned quickly and performed consistently. But with, and with the singers or the principals, he wanted people who not only could do it, but could really perform it and, and uh, make an audience nuts. And he got them, you know, he got them year after year after year. I was, I was stunned. I was really I've heard dancers say, like, I, I, it, it makes me crazy. I'll perform when I get on stage. I'm like, I don't know that. Like, I, I want to at least see in rehearsals, but to have to do the audition, you have to perform. That's all you have is that few minutes yeah. to do it. And like, I think a lot of people like, oh, once I know the choreography, I'll perform. Like, you have to oh, perform man, as you're learning no, and figuring out that. choreography. It's too late that you're already done by the time the you're normal. Yeah, it's like, that's the gift of, of auditions is just like, you have to perform the second you walk on that stage. Yeah, and you know, the other thing with Don is everything, every single day was an audition for him. When you were at rehearsal, you know, the women had to have a face on, they didn't have to have, you know, full lashes and stuff, but he expected lipstick and, you know, and, you know, he wanted to see the women looking good and he wanted their hair up. He didn't want messy hair flopping around. So there were a lot of buns. And uh, he, he was just, he, he looked at people all the time and, and judged them. He was very judgmental. And that's how a lot of bluebells became principals, you know, cause he'd watch them and admire them. And, mm. uh, and, and he could see that they could be developed into something that would really be extraordinary on stage. And he was always right. I mean, mm. It was it was just wild. So, because Miss Bluebell had her line before they partnered up, like she'd already yeah. had her dancers in Paris. And she was already going tall. for the they longer legged, tall ballet yeah. trained. Yeah. So when they merged, they're, they're, they must have lined up as far as what they wanted they because at the audition, yeah. he was the one yelling, but she was the one afterwards that we went backstage and she checked us and then did the contract. She's very a welcome opposite to him. But yeah. I, don't, I don't know if she had much say, but if she already had that classy, it was known that she hired classy, beautiful women that were well-trained yeah. before and, she partnered with Don. And she insisted that they be treated properly like uh, uh, adult women. Uh, when, when the uh, Lido, the first Lido came to Las Vegas, uh, a, lot, a lot of other clubs made the girls mingle with, with gamblers and stuff, which I think is awful. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's like prostituting them really. And uh, when, when Bluebell came and she heard that they wanted, they wanted the girls to do that. She said, my women don't do that. She said, and if you make them, I'll, I'll take them all back to England. I love that story. Yeah. So Kim used the word, de to, they used them to decorate the casino. 
<laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah it's either a prostitute or your decoration but you're there for eye candy or to make the gamblers or the high rollers feel Happy, pretty special yeah. and, and, and the thing that's really awful about that i mean <laughs> just so terrible is in a casino situation people are drinking mm-hmm. poor and judgment so everyone's not going to be on their very best behavior and to put the women in a in a situation like that is is doubly bad. It's oh, doubly bad. Yeah. It's uh, it it's not only treating them uh, not well, but it it's putting them in a a bad situation. Yeah. With a lot of drunk people, and uh, I can't I can't imagine. I don't think I knew or know anybody who was in 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 that kind of situation. Because by the time uh, I was doing cabaret, it was just with Don and Blue. And uh, and neither of them would have any of that, would have mm. any kind of foolishness. Wow. Yeah, because you hear the, the mafia days where the mob bosses wanted showgirls on their arm and gifts and things are so like how to look out for them and and uh because that you could get yourself in a world of trouble by getting lured in by yeah yeah the high rollers and those scary powers i think that probably happened uh i did not i did not see it happen i've heard some stories that people tell after we're done recording oh i'm sure i'm sure so it's kind of i think even still people are afraid to say some of the things even though it's been so long but there's there is that that threat that was, you know, you're desirable, you're beautiful. You yeah. should be, somebody should be able to buy you. Jesus. So what was it like? What was, how much guidance? I know you had a lot of freedom for designing, but I love how you did our costumes. And, and I will just say, when you see something that is overly done or somebody oh. adds or embellishes your reaction, I say, it makes me think of when you watch somebody do ballet with a flexed foot, you're just uh. like, Oh, Oh God, no. So there's, there's a thing of having, all this beautiful, the crystals, but not gaudy and not weighing. So what is yeah, it like uh, as far as proportion that you're looking well, at? You know, these- the, the deal really is you go to all the trouble to hire a tall, beautiful woman who can really dance and really perform. And then you don't want to cover her up. I mean, the, the idea is you're going to see their bodies. You know, nobody was heavy in the show. They were, I don't, did they weigh you at? Uh, at no, I missed those good old, that was, after, I don't know how long Hollywood ever got there. I know in, in uh, the Stardust they did when. Um, yeah. yeah. But uh, everybody, you know, they were all dancers. They were all proud of their bodies. They all, and they all worked hard at it. So why hide it? I mean, why hide it? So the deal is, is you're really just trying to gild the lily. You're not trying to have, have her be a walking uh, costume exhibit. You want them to look beautiful, but it's really all about the woman. It's about their face and their body, you know? Well, that's a thing too, because I've seen shows where they look so naked. Because if you're just, because you know, be topless, it's like, well, you need some joy. Because I love, need, yeah, oh my absolutely. gosh, Miranda Co. like, oh my gosh, I feel naked. I don't have my necklace on. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Even though you're topless, like, oh, I forgot my necklace. But there was enough jewelry that you didn't feel bare chested. It, it was something that felt yeah, decorative. Like even the underwire, I don't know why, it just enhances the breast, but it doesn't cover. But there was something, if you 
took that off, you'd feel like, oh gosh, I feel like really yeah. exposed, yeah. even though it's the same amount of flesh. Yeah. It's a, uh, it, it, it's funny. Uh, cabaret, designing cabaret is like learning another language. You know, there, there's stuff that you can do and there's stuff that you really can't do. Like you can't put, I don't think, you can put too much jewelry on a woman and obliterate her chest or, or her crotch or her hips or anything. And I know a lot of people like that. They like lots and lots of sparkly things, but you're, you're, not, you're not helping the woman out. And you're not, and the, I don't think the audience gives a shit about it real, <laughs> real. <Yeah. laughs> and, uh, but the one thing, uh, Hello Hollywood was my first cabaret show. And I, I didn't know too much when I went into it. And I was uh, very nervous uh, about, about dressing all of you because I didn't want, I didn't want the, the clothes to be either prurient, you know, and, mm -hmm. and be something that kind of looked nasty because Don was all about, you know, I want their asses out or I, you know, there, or, or there's 48 topless women on stage, what are you gonna do? Uh, or that I would draw something that was so stupid that people would laugh at it, it was silly. Oh, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and, but once you learn to do it, it's not. And by Jubilee, I, I really, I knew the language, I could really do it. And uh, one, of my, one of my favorite things were the bluebells that I redesigned in 95, I think, or 96 in the pink and orange. If you look at them- Oh, for Jubilee? Yeah, for Jubilee. If you look at them, if a girl is facing you, her feathers are almost a foot and a half off her head. So there's no way a feather can get in her face or her lipstick or you know anything like that. Then you see her face and then you see her entire body and they had you know bras on and G's, but you saw their entire body with a nude shoe. What that's as long as yes. you're gonna, you're really gonna get. But the best thing about the costume and they used it the choreography beautifully is when the women turned around, their back braces had feathers that sprayed out on both sides, but didn't obliterate the girl's body at all. So oh, you- Yeah, there's so much more to this than I think we- Yeah. We, you, saw, we uh, had more on top you know, of our heads. You head saw the woman head, head to toe. And, uh, and I know a lot of people are dicey about asses. As far as I'm concerned, your ass is the top of your leg, mm -hmm. you know, and if you cut it off uh, with a, a bad leotard or something, you know, you're, you're, you're taking seven inches of leg away from a woman. So. so when you're doing fittings, did you have any girls that were nervous about being topless? And because it is like to you learn all yes. this choreography yeah, and you get yeah. through all those months and then you get those costumes on. And it's got to be a, a delicate moment sometimes for you to be fitting someone and adjusting their, when they're getting ready to go out. Like, well, and I, for some, you probably saw yeah. a beautiful transformation when they put it on. Like you weren't just seeing people try on leotards. You probably yeah. got to see more than some of the other costumes affected the dancers, the showgirls, especially. I, I, uh, I, I never had an issue about fittings and stuff, but in, uh, 
after the fire, when we lost a lot of our European women, they were trying to talk American women into going topless. And, and of course it was a hike in pay and it was you know, sometimes an, an easier thing to do, not, not very often, but, uh, and I remember one, one young lady talking to me when we were dress rehearsing for the opening. And she said, oh my God, I'm so scared. My parents are coming to opening night. And she said, my father's gonna die when he sees me. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, that, I, I felt badly for her that she was upset, but, yeah. you know, I had nothing to do with it or say about it. And I, but I saw, I did see her later that week. And I said, how did your parents like the show? And she said, they couldn't even find me. <laughs> Unless yeah. you draw, I remember drawing a diagram on the program. I'm the third one on the wing on this one, yeah. fourth one on the stair on this one. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Cause there's, yeah. there's, but, a- you know, once, once you cover a woman's hair up and put her in a, a big costume and then put all the makeup on the lashes and the lips and, you know, contour or what, whatever the woman does, it's not the same lady. It's, it's, it's just not the same woman. You don't see that grocery shopping. Yeah. <laughs> you only got to see Some it. of us wish we could go that way. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if, I don't think you told me this. Someone said that Dawn liked it, women with smaller heads and there's something about no, foreheads no, too for no, head that's pieces. Not, that's not true. He okay. liked, <laughs> liked, he and Bluebell both like tall women mm-hmm. and, Generally speaking, the the taller a woman is, the the they don't have big heads. Very you get I I cannot say <laughs> how many 21 and a half heads, which is almost a child size, we had Bob and I had in the show. And that was the hardest thing to fit because you don't want to just make a bunch of hats that are 21 and a half and then not be able to fit them if somebody's, you know, a 22 and a half or a 23, that then you're, you're dead. So we had to do the opposite. We had to pull everything in. And that's why all of the hats I always did had a, 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 a keyhole in the back that was elastic, very heavy elastic. So the girls, it was easy for them to get it on, but then it hugged their face. So it didn't, I hated helmets that stood out away from their ears and stuff. Yeah. But, that looked terrible to me, uh, but uh, it also gave us kind of a, a leeway with fitting. Uh, you could make the, the keyhole and back shorter for a woman who is a 21 and a half. But it's it's just, you know, there, there are a lot of things and I, I don't want to sound too generalized about it, but if you get a tall woman, she is not going to have a big head and she's not going to have small feet, you know? You know, oh, wow. a six foot woman with a size six shoe doesn't happen. Yeah. God didn't make them that way. <laughs> I'm a, I'm nine, I'm eight and a half, which I thought that was big, but I'm five foot nine, yeah. but I have friends that are five, two with the same size feet. I'm like, Oh, I should have bigger, longer feet for how tall oh. I am to keep me upright. But uh, <laughs> a, like skis or somebody said a skis in the so you don't go down the drain. Because there's something even of the headdresses of the shape. Because I've seen some poorly constructed ones that kind of oh. just like a, a moped helmet on there. Yeah. But yeah. did you design 
the shape and structure because the face oh, yeah. where you're trying oh, to yeah. accentuate and how it yeah. accentuates your eyes or if it comes yeah. too far I down. Cut, I cut most of them myself. Really? We we put them on on people at work and I'd draw them with pencil and then I'd cut it myself and put it back on and see if I'd done it okay. Yeah, no, the, the head pieces are a very delicate thing to get into. And you know, if they don't fit, you're dead. So oh, yeah. So is the woman. Yeah. To put that on, you see, like you said, like, like the neck goes away. You drop. <laughs> yeah, and now with yeah. those heels, get on stage. You got three seconds to run down the stairs in that, that Christmas tree that's on top of your head. Yeah. Like there's a lot about the construction because you can't feel beautiful when you feel like you're going to tip over or your neck is killing you. Like there's no, a lot about the construction that the, as big as those care, costumes or I wore things that were down the stairs. The stairs are a big issue. Yeah. You know, Number one, because your feet are probably eight and a half at least. And uh, uh, the steps are, are smaller, are narrower yeah. than regular steps with a, a higher rise to them. So I, I used to watch all of you come down the stairs and go, oh my God, don't let anybody go. It's terrible. I remember learning that. And then when you actually come over the back and you see the audience and you look how far down that is and- oh. So put your foot against your heel against the back of the stairs so you can yeah. feel it because I actually did fall up the stairs at one point and I could put my hands down because I was in the wheel in the uh, pink staircase when I had to catch I had to catch myself with my nose because uh, there was no hand there was no hands it was like knees and it was just like this is glamorous and it's also boy if this goes wrong this goes oh, wrong yeah. so bad yeah so as we we're gonna um, this question nobody can answer. Okay. <laughs> because it's the question was how will showgirls be remembered? And I like how Athena says like she, the like a collective showgirl. Mm -hmm. Because it's I, I also think of how bluebells are remembered. That's that's the same question, but it's different. Like how bluebells remembered that the showgirl also brings in like all the other shows. Because if cabaret is is here or not, each door that closed, the showgirl is either considered passe or not important. How would you just well, to, yeah. to say what a showgirl is to you, even though we can't all agree on a term, but we kind of have something in the middle of what it feels like? Well, first of all, she's a, a beautiful memory. I have uh, nothing but great memories about, you know, doing the shows and, and meeting the people. And, and, uh, and that's the other thing that I told somebody the other day and they were so surprised. I said, I never met a person who was nasty in any of the shows that really? were done in blue. Never wow. did. No if I weed that out in the audition too. No attitude, no problems. Wow. You know, all, all good workers, you know, uh, wonderful work ethics. And, uh, but it, it, it really is just a memory now. I mean, there are very few places that really have that quality. Uh, uh, there's a, a Friedrichstadt, I think, in in uh, in in Germany. I've been wanting to see. I've been following uh, them. Some of their shows look so wonderful. They're big scale too. It looks like they're not huge, just a small, huge, huge scale and beautifully designed. I mean, really beautifully designed. And Moulin Rouge. And now that Lido is is going down the toilet, you know, there aren't there aren't great big cabaret shows anymore. It's, it's a, a dinosaur, it's a thing of the past. And, uh, 
and I don't see it coming back fast either, you know. And that's kind of been the discussion, maybe on a smaller scale. Maybe no one's ever going to put ten million dollars in costumes, but does it need to be topless? Can it be smaller scale, or or does it need to be that grand to actually knock well, people over? It's it's different. Uh, if you get a, a show the scale of the ones that Don liked to do, it you know it's like a party, uh, and smaller smaller shows are are nice. I mean, when we uh, I I designed the Rockettes for twenty years, and when we started doing the half scale shows, and we started in Branson, I thought, oh, this is going to be terrible because, uh, you know, we're not gonna have 36 women across stage. And, uh, and, and the Christmas show was like a jewel. It, mm. it, it mounted very, very well, but it was still bigger than a show that would have say four female dancers in it, you know, yeah. which I, I see a lot of. And, and they always look sad to me. Mm. I, 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 you know, I, I was raised on the other. <laughs> it's really hard to go from that. And, uh, yeah. and, and that's, that's what really rocks my boat. Uh, and and it, it, can be, it can be very good. They also, there used to be, a, I, I think it was topless, I, or, or I remember it as being topless, a show that the Dunes had called Vive La Girls. Oh, yeah. Ronnie did. And uh, I think there were probably six or eight women. And it was, it was a great show. I saw so many editions of it. I, every time I went to Vegas, I tried to see it. Really? And, uh, and uh, they did. uh, And a lot of my friends were in it. uh, Diane Day and uh, Poggi and brilliant dancers. I mean, brilliant, brilliant dancers. And it was a kick-ass show. I mean, it was, it was, when I say I'd, small shows make me sad, that one sure didn't. Hmm. <laughs> it, it, was, uh, it was on steroids. It was great. But uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm spoiled. And yeah. if I see a, a small show and, and the clothes aren't interesting or well-made, and stuff, it's just a drag. It's a drag. And, uh, and I hate it. I really do. I think everybody, you know, who, who does it for a living deserves to have the best, which is what Don and, and Blue gave them mm. and looked after them. They, they, they wanted the best people and they treated them the best. And, uh, and God, the money that we spent on, on the shows was unbelievable. And uh, uh, even uh, and, and even the exchange rate for the franc was was pretty low at that point. But uh, God, you know, just it and and the other thing that is scary about not having showgirls anymore is you lose all the people that made that work. You lose the jewelers, you lose the feather people. Maison Favre, I think, is the only feather place of quality really left anymore. And now it's owned by the Moulin Rouge. So oh, I really? They, yeah, I don't even know if they do outside work. I've been, been retired yeah. for 
10 years, so I'm kind of out of it. But uh, yeah, I think that's like but, the, the lead. A lot of the people are saying they're sad for the dancers, but like the the wait staff, the dressers, the yeah. mechanics, but it's, but there's all, a lot more people than, but all the people uh, that made a showgirl, what a showgirl was the people that worked the feathers and the people that worked the jewelry and the people that made the shoes for us uh, are, are, are not able to teach their craft to anybody else. You know, yeah. you're, you're not going to, have someone uh, learn vulture fouimonté, twisted vulture, because nobody's going to ever make it again, or at least not for a long time. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm scared that people will die out that knew how to do it. I mean, even the last ten years that I designed, milliners, good milliners, were worth worth their weight in gold in gold really i was working in paris on uh, on holiday and ice and i met this one young lady she was i think she was 20 or 21 and god she was so talented and she did all my african number headpieces and i tried to talk her into coming to uh, la i said i promise you you would work forever she was so good and fast and lovely to work with, you know. But people like that, once once they're gone, you know, uh, yeah. it's over. It's over. And I know a lot of places like beaters. The older beaters didn't want to teach younger women to do it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah when I started designing, it was, uh, you know. You, you never saw anybody young in a beating establishment. They were all mm. older women. And uh, uh, I asked somebody one day, and I said, well, where, where are all the young ones? They said, oh, if you get a young woman in here, she's treated so poorly. Yeah, they were, mm. yeah, it was, it was terrible. And all those, all those things have to be able to happen. It doesn't matter what I draw. If somebody can't make the feathers or produce the dress or make the headpiece, I'm dead. I can't walk out in front of a dinner audience and show them a sketch and have them, be, mm. you know? So all the thing to honor, it feels like the importance is honor. I was talking to Hillary, who's in the show, like how having a date, they at least know because they've been grieving, they don't know what's ending. And it was something that she sent me to. It's like, we're going to go out with dignity because even if crappy things are being written about showgirls or that's passe, we will still hold on to the integrity and whatever people will remember that we, we had dignity that we will remember. And the people yeah. that saw the shows remember. And if it doesn't translate into this next generation, we can still be really proud of what we did. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's why uh, I, I told you when I, when I hear the word showgirl, I have just nothing but great memories, really great memories. And, uh, you, you know, it was, it was wonderful working with them, but the, I'll tell you something, there is no high like being in an audience and watching a stage production that you've designed and oh. hearing an audience go, oh, oh. <laughs> You know, yeah. 
like when Living Curtain came in, in space. I was on that. Calls every night. Yeah. You know, a three-story curtain with people dancing on it was amazing to look at. It was amazing. The plane was amazing. You know, all that stuff was, you know. We've gotten too mundane. Life is just too mundane. We need to bring that back. Which is where we're going to end today because I'm going to have to get you back because I have seven more topics. So it's oh, always yeah. okay. Like, oh, darn, I have to talk to Pete again. So yeah. there'll be more. And so we'll, we'll leave this there because this is going to be all the different facets of what we think a showgirl is because she's too complicated to just name. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I love how you said that there's the word. It feels like what you did is you revere. And so we, we oh, revere sorry. the showgirl. We are honored that we could say we were, you could say you were honored to design for it and whatever else society poo-poos on we know yeah and i'll tell you something designing for a woman who appears in cabaret you're not going to have a better person show it to an audience you're not you're getting a professional who's beautiful and tall and oh my god you know it's it's like you've been dropped into a box of candy. <laughs> it is just the best thing in the world. And, um, you know, and, and uh, I like doing the sketches, but the, when you see it on stage, the women, uh, and it doesn't matter how intricate or, or pretty a costume is, until it's on the woman on stage, it doesn't mean anything. Hmm. It's a bunch of feathers or it's a bunch of fabric. And, yeah. I want to thank you for making us all so beautiful because I know at the Hello Hollywood Hello reunion, a lot of us came up and thanked you because we all reconnected with that part of ourselves. And yeah, yeah. it was such a, it was, I think it affected us more what it felt like to feel that beautiful. Uh, and uh, I want to thank you for that. So, Pete, I appreciate that all the technical difficulties that has happened on all yeah. my Zoom calls lately. We did it. And I look forward to seeing you either in person or for another interview, because you were just such a great contributor to this whole story of showgirl, showboy. We know we don't like those words. That will save for another day. Yeah. Of awful that. vernacular that we are stuck with, but we will save that. Okay. <laughs> so best well, to you, my friend. Great trip to Paris. Thank you. I'll be posting pictures and I'll be crying probably most of the yeah. time. <laughs> I'm only good. wearing waterproof mascara. Good, good for you. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, Cher.